0: Good morning, all. This week in the uh, weekly update, I promised a story about a bird. So I'm going to tell you a story about a bird, and this is how all good stories start. Once upon a time, there was a little bird who lived in a tree. Are you listening, Lulu? For you. Okay. The bird's name was Faithful, but everyone just called her Faye. And from the time she was a tiny baby, her parents would sing her a song every morning. The song was called Home, so Faye thought that Home was the name of her tree. Faye was very happy and content in her tree, but as the seasons began to change, Faye's brothers and sisters, they flew away from the tree that they were born in and Faye decided to stay. She never really ventured that far from the nest. It was all she'd ever known in the short uh, time of her life, the short spring and summer of her life, and it was her home. But now it was fall, and the leaves began to change uh, from green to deep red. And while she thought that her home was maybe never more beautiful, She was a bit lonely, but she decided she'd stay. But then one day, some gusty winds blew and a hard, cold rain fell. And one by one, the leaves flew off of her tree to the ground. And after the storm, Faye became aware that her tree didn't feel the same and she no longer felt at home in the bare branches. You know, they looked up and she saw birds flying. She, she wondered if she should join them. Would it be safe? Would her tree survive without her? Would she survive without her tree? Well, what would her parents think if, if she left after they had provided such a beautiful nest in this tree that she called home? To stay or to leave felt like the biggest choice that she'd ever make. Then one morning, her brother returned out of nowhere and perched on a branch beside her. I've been looking everywhere for you, he said. It's time to migrate. I don't know what to do, Faye said. I don't know if I should stay here at home or leave. And her brother cocked his head and he said, my my dear faithful, I think you're confused. Home isn't the name of your tree. Home is the name of your song. And wherever you sing it, wherever you sing your song, that will be your home. Over the uh, the last few weeks, I've been reading the latest book by Brian McLaren, titled Do I Stay Christian? Uh, it's a little story that I just told is from the f- afterward of that book. In in passing, I've learned that some of you are also reading this book. And in a broader sense, over the past few years, I've learned that many of us, uh, whether we like to admit it or not, we live with this question in the backs of our minds. Do I stay Christian? I have many good friends who have decided that the answer to that question is no. Uh, And when I listen to them, I find myself nodding in agreement as to why they have walked away from being called Christian, because I'm going to be honest. If <laughs> if someone tells me that they're a Christian as they settle into the seat next to me on an airplane, my guard goes up. Right? My stereotypes uh, kick in, and my expectations are that I'm about to encounter someone who I have lumped in with uh, used car salesmen and people who sell timeshare condos and at best i expect them to be shallow and fake and at worst mean and homophobic now i also have many friends who are still answering yes to being called a christian some of you are here and uh, they're some of the most deeply wonderful people that you'll ever encounter but to be fair, probably none of them are going to lead off with announcing the Christian part, so there lies my, the difference in my snap judgments. Now, I know the stereotyping is my issue, but the kind of stuff that produces these stereotypes is real. Christianity has a, a brand problem. It has a violent past, and it's adding to that violent story every day. It has a history of colonialism. It is plagued with scandal and patriarchy. Christianity and xenophobia are a toxic mix in our politics and national identity. And recently, it seems to be doubling down on its relationship with white supremacy and good old-fashioned ignorance. So, I nod along with the stories that my friends tell me as they say that they no longer want to be called Christian. And I'm wondering this morning, how are you answering that question? Do I stay Christian? Please note I'm not asking you to answer the question, should I go to church? That's another question, perhaps for another day. And I think the answers to that question are very complicated. You know, the leadership table spent yesterday reflecting on why church attendance and Sunday school programs are struggling a bit here at PMC, and the answer is we, we don't know. But we are choosing to cherish the moments that we do get to spend uh, in these settings with our children and youth, and whoever shows up here on Sundays. And today it's all of you, so thank you for all for being here. I'm asking a deeper question. Do we stay Christian? Do we continue to draw something from this tradition and the story of Jesus' life and teachings? Personally, for me, there's a small, quiet voice deep inside that is still whispering, yes, to this question. But the question then is, how does that look? And what does being Christian mean? It's convenient to feel like whatever upheaval we're going through in the world is unique to us in our moment in time. You know, the questions that we're wrestling with must be new. But the Gospel of Matthew, which is where our text comes from this morning, is situated in a very different time. But it's not that dissimilar from our own when it comes to big questions. Well, if Brian McLaren was writing a book uh, in Matthew's world, he would probably write one titled, Is Jesus the Messiah? The second generation Jewish followers of Jesus were, were not all on the same page with their fellow Jews about how Jesus fit into their Jewish tradition. In this landscape, the Gospel of Matthew was penned, and the author is on a mission to answer the big questions of his day. He is convinced that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and his argument is directed to those in his own tradition who cannot accept this reality. The writer of Matthew uses memories of Jesus, of Jesus' preaching, passed down through oral storytelling to call his community back to the essence of faith. He wants them to remember Jesus' words and to understand how Jesus focused on the motivations that live inside of their Jewish laws, the the, the spirit of the law uh, rather than the letter. You know, last week we walked through the the beginning of some of these words of Jesus that uh, Matthew's writer remembered as we looked at the Beatitudes. And our text today is just a short snippet from a much longer sermon that Matthew seeks to preserve for his generations, for his generation. In Matthew's world, where religious leaders policed the religious life of his community, Matthew is adamant that about how differently Jesus spoke about faith. Jesus never called for righteous behavior. Rather, he he called those who gathered to listen to him to be righteous humans. Matthew wants Jews to re-listen to what Jesus was saying. It was his belief that understanding what Jesus was calling for was the only path for his community to be true Jews, but perhaps the writer of Matthew misses his own point in his attempt to convince his fellow Jews that Jesus was limited to Judaism. I mean, we're sitting here today in a Christian church because Matthew was indeed a little wrong. The words and the meanings of Jesus did overflow the boundaries of Judaism and eventually spread throughout the Gentile world. But if you read Jesus' words carefully, you might hear something deeper. Maybe Jesus was calling his community to something beyond human-made, man-made religion. Something the writer of Matthew could not even comprehend, even as he brushed up against its essence. Are we in danger of making the same mistake when we seek to answer the big questions of our time with the limits that we've placed around the term Christian? If the essence of what it means to be a righteous human exploded the world of these second-generation followers of Jesus and allowed the meaning of Jesus uh, to flow beyond their religious boundaries, just maybe we need to expect that it might explode our world as well. So again, what does it mean to be Christian? And do I stay Christian? My inner voice says, yes. But what does that quiet yes mean? So there's a poster that hangs in the MYF room that I made years ago when I was uh, asking the kids to come up with metaphors for what it means to follow Jesus. And and my apologies, I think I've I've already talked about this, I think. Um, I'm getting old and I tend to repeat myself, so the poster uh, says, Christianity is like a band of friends that are righteous salmon. It's complicated by design. (laughs) Christianity is like a band of friends that are righteous salmon. And it sounds silly, but here's what it means. Following Jesus requires friends. You can't and you shouldn't do it by yourself. The image of uh, salmon going against the cur- current to get back home is an homage to Walter Bruggemann's counterscript idea that following Jesus is a different script than the one that suffered by our culture. But what I had forgotten was that I had made the salmon <laughs> righteous. And as I, as I reread uh, Jesus' words, uh, remembered through the pen of Matthew this week, I heard the call to be a righteous human a call to be something beyond or deeper than a righteous actor inside of a religious framework. I had made my, uh, my salmon righteous because it was the best word that I could find for shalom, the state of being in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and creation. I think this vision of shalom is why my inner voice still whispers yes. It's a vision that's so filled with beauty and purpose that I can never let it go. McLaren's book is, uh, is put together in, these, in three sections uh, in regard to his primary question, do I stay Christian? The, the first section is, uh, addresses sort of the abuses of Christianity. It offers reasons why it would make sense to say no. And the second section offers uh, reasons that you might still say yes. But then there's a third section that attempts to answer the question, how do I stay Christian? And in this final section, McLaren pushes his readers to ask a deeper question than just religious identity. And he asks, what kind of human do you want to become? He states the the divisions among Christians reflect the divisions among Muslims, Jews, Hindus, atheists, Republicans, Democrats, capitalists, socialists, go on. And under that same label, some are arrogant and others humble. Some are selfish and others generous. Some want to conserve their own privilege and power and others want justice and joy to be more widely distributed to all. Some are motivated by fear or greed, and others by curiosity and grace. Some are afraid to let go of the past, and some are afraid of bringing too much along with it into the future. Some care about the global common good, and others care more exclusively about their own individual uh, or in-group interests. The turmoil in so many of our identities comes back again and again to this very human question What kind of humans do we want to become? What is required to become a righteous human? I think the answer to that question is something we're supposed to work out together. I think that might be why we come to this place each week or whenever we can make it here. The deep purpose for why PMC exists is to help us answer this question together. What is required of us to be on a journey to become righteous humans? How can we as a community shape our kids in such a way that they they join us on this shared journey? You know, maybe we should pause in our committee meetings and simply ask, is this what a righteous human would say? do? Is this how a righteous human would act? The prophet Micah suggests that we use a couple follow-up questions to help us figure it out. Is this doing justice? Is this loving kindness? Is this walking humbly? Is this noticing God's spirit in our midst? Our journey together answering the question, how do we become righteous humans, is going to ask us to sing our song. We each are going to sing our own uh, unique song. But it's going to be joined together with the songs of all of those around you. And the harmonies that we make are beautiful, don't you think? But as we sing, I hope we can remember. This place isn't our home. Our Anabaptist tradition isn't, our, isn't our, 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 this place isn't our song. Our Anabaptist tradition isn't our song. And perhaps even our religious identity isn't our song. They're just perching places. They are uh, human-made, may, uh, man-made containers for something that's much more precious. Wherever we go together into God's future, singing along with the rhythm of God's spirit, that will be our home. If you get lost on the way, uh, just pause and and listen for the sound of singing. You know, sometimes you're going to hear it all around you. And sometimes it's going to sound like it's coming from another room. But it's always there. So as we leave together today, I just want you to let the song of God's Spirit lead you home. Sing along as loud as you can. And if there are times when it's hard to sing, just tap your foot or hum. It's okay. Amen.